This is The Medical Beat on 97.1 FM Talk. All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, You're listening to The Medical Beat, 97.1 FM Talk. And uh, I'm your host, Dr. Steve Harvey, and we have Chad on the board there, the board of many buttons and dials and levers. And we have uh, a very special guest today. We have Dr. Ed Weisbart. Say hi, Dr. Weisbart. Hey there, Steve. Hey, hello. Good morning. Hey, so uh, a lot of you might have heard Dr. Weisbart on the show before. Just a little introduction here. Uh, Dr. Weisbart is a uh, family physician. Uh, worked for many years and uh, at first in another city, leading a large uh, large group practice there. Later came to St. Louis and was chief medical officer at Express Scripts, which is a, a very large corporation. Uh, currently, he's on the teaching faculty at Washington University, and he's also chair of the Missouri chapter of the Physicians for a National Health Program. Uh, currently, uh, Ed Weisbart is focusing on health care reform. Uh, he's a champion of finding ways to make health care uh, more accessible, uh, less expensive, uh, more efficient, uh, and just plain better. And that's that's really what he's been focusing on. And the reason we have Dr. Weisbart on the show today is that uh, with the COVID pandemic, that has, to some extent, I think, really changed how people think uh, about our health care. It's certainly changed how we do health care in some ways, but it's also changed the way people think about how we pay for and uh, distribute health care in our country. And there, there are a whole bunch of things to talk about uh, with that. But I think the thing we're going to start with is I, I know one of the first things that, that I was aware of is that people who were hospitalized for COVID, and, and tell me, Ed, if I understand this right, but people who were hospitalized for COVID their care while in the hospital is basically being uh, paid for by the federal government. Is that is that correct? Um, that's somewhat correct. I okay. wouldn't say that's the whole story, though. It's yeah. uh, you know, I, w- I wish there were a simple answer to this, but there isn't because we don't have a simple healthcare <laughs> finance <laughs> structure in the country. Nothing um, simple. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have uh, if you have Medicare, of course, um, it's paid for. You know, by Medicare. If you have private insurance, it's paid for in the same way it has been, except that the federal government has offered reimbursement to the hospitals to make sure that they don't balance bill or charge anything um, in addition to what uh, to what they need to. So there is that, but the hospitals have to be accepting of that, and not every hospital is. Um, insurance companies have said that they'll waive the copays and deductibles, but not every employer uh, has accepted that from their insurance company. So some people have copays and deductibles uh, for even for hospital care. Some people don't. Oh. Um, and then making sure that it actually is Corona care is confusing. You know, so some people are getting billed for things that aren't directly Corona care. You know, if you, you know, even outside of the hospital, if you if you go somewhere for a Corona test oh. and you and you wind up getting a flu a flu test and a chest X-ray, you might still get a charge for those other things. And you might even get a charge for the corona test because not every place knows how to bill properly. So, you know, if I were to say there's one takeaway from all of this, it is if you get a, if you go for hospital care or outpatient care right now and you get a bill and you're not completely sure that you should get that bill, you should talk about that with the people who sent you the bill and try to appeal it if you need to and maybe even call the federal government, uh, so to speak, if, uh, uh, if you can, because it's complicated. 
not everything is covered for everybody. And some of the things that are covered are still winding, winding up getting billed. So I'd say people need to really kind of fight for their fight for themselves to make sure they get what they can get and are entitled to. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, and how about, how about, let's say people who have, uh, who have, uh, you know, were, were laid off because of the pandemic, they've lost their health care insurance, and then they're in the hospital uh, with uh, coronavirus infection. What what happens in that scenario? So in theory, that is what is covered by, by the CARES Act. Mm-hmm. You know, that's if a hospital has accepted those funds, then yeah, they're supposed to they're supposed to not not be able to bill for that, and they're supposed to get get paid through the federal government. Between the CARES Act and there was a bill um, a few days before that called the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. But those two bills are supposed to have taken care of that, so that yeah, if you're uninsured, you lost your job, you're uninsured. In theory, you, you know you're protected against against a bill from that. But uh, again, there's mistakes that happen and. Not everything is always covered, so you need to be careful. Plus, mm-hmm. these bills aren't going to last in perpetuity. You know, I think the CARES Act is slated to expire on July 31st. So, really? you know, hurry up and get sick now. <laughs> right. I don't know. Right. You know, I, I'm, I'm joking, yeah. obviously, yes, but yeah. hopefully, the you know, we'll sort of renew it, things like that, if we need to. Right, because I, I can't imagine what might happen if that bill expires and then people are sick and are they going to be afraid to go to the hospital? Then they'll stay stay at home and infect other people or all, all, all sorts of bad scenarios there. Right. That's the whole point. And, and, you know, because of the ambiguities in this, people are doing precisely what, what, you, what you just said. They are staying home or they are. Some of them don't have a choice. You know, many don't have a choice and are still going to work, of course, and, you know, riding the bus and doing all these other things because of the risk of economic disaster if they go get care. And that means we're all in this together, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, which we are. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and what do you think? What do you think was the uh, was the thinking behind the government's decision to uh, to pay for a lot of that Corona care? I mean, with the with um, you know, it, it, our current administration seems focused on keeping things in the private sector, but this is sort of uh, having having the government do it. Any idea? Uh, why why they made that choice? Well, I don't think there was a way to not make that choice, frankly. I mean, we're we we are all in this together, and you know, I can catch coronavirus from you. You know, we can you know, it's, it's communicable. We're we're all able to get it and give it to each other uh, if we're if we're not careful. And so, we want people who have it or think they might have it to get evaluated quickly, both to protect themselves, but also to protect the rest of the community. So. You know, it's. I, th- I think part of the reason that we're that the government decided to step in and help pay for it is because of because of that. You know, because of the way that we can all catch this from each other. Right. But frankly, you know, it's not just coronavirus that we can catch from each other. It's everything. You know, we can catch tuberculosis. You know, I can't. I can't catch diabetes from you. But you know, if you have diabetes and you can't afford to get it treated, then you're going to have a harder time working, and you're going to wind up you know, being more expensive for the community and for civilization. So it's, you know, to my advantage to have you get your health care covered. <laughs> right. Yeah. The coronavirus. Yes. Yeah. 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 Any any predictions on whether or not the CARES Act will be continued uh, after July 31st? I don't see how they could not. You know, I mean, it's, you know, the, there's there's no reason to think that uh, the virus is slowing down. You know, the, the, the problem that, that made the country decide to do the CARES Act is 
getting more intense, not less intense. So if there was a reason to pass it back in March, you know, I, I don't I don't see how we can not stay this course. Yeah. If anything, we need to do more, not less. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, you're right. And I think it would be probably very politically unpopular to not extend that. So I'm I'm with you on that one. But oh, Chad's playing the music, which means uh, we're gonna head out for just a moment. We're going to be back real soon. We're going to continue this discussion. Healthcare reform in the age of COVID. We'll be back. You're listening to The Medical Beat. All right. We're back. Uh, you're listening to The Medical Beat, 97.1 FM Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Harvey, and we're here with Dr. Ed Weisbart. Uh, we're talking about health care reform, and especially we're talking about health care reform in the age of COVID, where the COVID pandemic has, in some ways, uh, changed people's thinking about how health care ought to work and also has uh, exposed some uh, exposed some shortcomings, maybe some strengths too, but has certainly exposed some shortcomings uh, in the, the medical system that we've got for now. So let's let, let's start with that. So that's that's something you hear people say a lot is that the is that the pandemic has exposed problems within our system. Uh, so Ed, what do you think uh, what do you think are the main problems that the pandemic has exposed? Yeah, I think that's important to, to think about. There's, I would say they fall into two high buckets, high, high groups of problems. The first is because of the sort of the fragmented way we have healthcare. We have, you know, all the different private insurers. We have the VA. We have the we have the DOD. We have Medicare and Medicaid. We have, you know, a huge fragment, a hugely fragmented system of healthcare, and that makes it almost impossible, or certainly more difficult, to plan and organize or even to react quickly. So one one thing that this is exposed is sort of the consequences of such a fragmented system. But the second thing that I think it exposes is that our system is frankly designed around around wealth and, and finance and money rather than um, around health. And I think the best indicator of that is looking at how in the <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic, hospitals are having to furlough and lay off Healthcare workers, right. uh, physician offices in the middle of a pandemic are are closing. You know, there's, uh, yeah. I think BJC uh, over the last couple of months furloughed nearly 3,000 employees wow. in the middle of a pandemic. Mayo Clinic, I believe, furloughed or cut the hours on something on the order of 30,000 employees. Again, in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, one wow. one nice quote of that that I came upon recently was from Steward Healthcare, which. Operates 35 hospitals and other uh, delivery systems across nine states, and what they said was that COVID. Here's a direct quote: COVID is quote a seismic financial shock because elective surgeries are the cornerstone of our hospital system's operating model. And so that I think is one of the one of the issues that's being exposed is that um, under today's system, um, hospitals are designed to um, pursue the most lucrative surgeries and interventions that they can because mm-hmm. that's how they make their money that's how we've yeah. set up the financial systems they're not evil that's the way it's set up yeah whereas it should be designed of course for for community health yeah and, and the, the incentives are sort of in the wrong place but i yeah I, i've certainly heard that sentiment where uh you know hospitals really make their profit off of doing lots of elective surgeries and sometimes the other parts of the hospital are just there in order to uh 
in order to have an excuse to have a hospital there so they can do the elective surgeries, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That. yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, so I guess with the, uh, with the COVID crisis, elective surgeries have been canceled in right. order to have spare capacity in case there's a wave of, of COVID patients coming in. Yeah. Right. Well, plus, you know, people are, are, are intentionally trying to not do anything that they don't have to do. So, Oh right, yeah. But, but then related to yes, what what problems it exposes? I'd yeah. say having having people have to uh, ha- have personal financial exposure to getting health care means that right now they're w- w- with the loss of employment and stuff and loss of insurance from that they're not going for important important health care. <laughs> we just saw a report that said that emergency rooms are seeing um, sizable drops in visits for. You know, lots of things, but including they saw a 10 percent drop in visits for uncontrolled diabetes. Well, that's still happening. They're just not getting care. A 20 percent drop in visits for strokes and a 23 percent drop in visits for heart attacks. Right. People with heart attacks and strokes are staying home, you know, in, in part because they're afraid to go to the emergency room because of COVID. But in larger part, because they're afraid of the bankruptcy of not having insurance. So, yeah, yeah, that's terrible. You know, we're going to have consequences from this for, you know, for many years to come. Right. And, and it's just going to make things more expensive and result in shorter lifespans in the long run, I would think, also. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people are afraid. So it, another problem that's exposed is that people are afraid to get health care because of the, the the cost. Yeah. 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 Well, and we have no ability to... We have very limited ability, or it's more difficult for us to plan and organize and, and, and react. So... You know, in, in other countries, they're, you know, they're getting on top of this curve and we're not. Um, yeah. You know, China, for example, um, had actually 9,000 epidemiologists converge on Wuhan. Wow. We don't have 9,000 epidemiologists in, in the entire United States. Right. Yeah. Taiwan, they said, if you're, if you're forced to be isolated, they pay for your food and your lodging and your medical care so that nobody would avoid going to the doctor. In Italy... You know, they, they obviously didn't, you know, having a single-payer program in Italy, national health insurance in Italy didn't stop the pandemic, but nobody had to fear bankruptcy. You know, we talked about the layoffs that hospitals are doing here. Spain is hiring 50,000 more healthcare workers. So we're furloughing and laying off healthcare workers, really? and Spain has the ability to organize and plan, and they saw what was happening, and they started hiring hiring 50,000 more healthcare workers. So Really? I'd say those are the two problems. One, one is the huge barriers, and then two, into the um, ability to plan. Yeah, yeah, and, and I guess sort of along the same lines with the with massive unemployment. You know, I think I think prior to the pandemic, you know, a lot of people were were feeling like you know, hey, everything's fine. I've I've got this. I like my health care insurance because of my job, and then suddenly they lose their job. You know, so so I guess a. Uh, do, do you see the linkage between employment and healthcare insurance as a, as a, as something that should be worked on? Yeah, you know, I mean, for for frankly, for decades, that was something that people trusted, and there are generations. There's a couple generations of us now who really thought that was rock solid. But you know, younger folks now are not having jobs that they carry for 30 years. Younger mm-hmm. folks now are in these gig economy, are in a gig economy where they have three, four, or many more small part-time jobs that don't have benefits. So linking insurance to your employer is, 
an increasingly inadequate solution for for the, for the country. And then, you know, those that have it for many years, you know, are, are seeing that that's not as stable as they thought. Like, you know, when when uh, when um, UAW went out on strike back in what was it September last year, mm-hmm. and and unions had long fought and and, and traded off their wages for uh, for benefits, and had thought that their health care was something that they would have to continue to fight for, but it was still solid. And UAW went on strike, and the first thing General Motors did was cut off their health care overnight. Of course, UAW had some ability to backfill that a bit, but not as robustly. And now with COVID, it's not just, you know, one union here, or which is, of course, a big one, but it's not this group there. It's not, you know, Bob down the street losing his job or whatever. But now with, with, you know, with COVID, people are saying that for reasons that are entirely not their fault, entirely not their fault, if they're, if they're white, black, brown, everybody in the country is vulnerable to losing their job these days for reasons that have nothing to do with them, and they lose their job and they lose their insurance, and then they're, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> they're one right. virus particle away from bankruptcy. Not really one virus particle, but they're, <laughs> right. they're you know, to, they're, yeah. they're vulnerable to bankruptcy because of things that really weren't their fault. And, and healthcare yeah. is playing a big part of that. Yeah, because I guess lo- for someone to lose their job can be devastating enough, but then when they lose their job, they also have to be afraid for their life in some ways. Right. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want my employer to have that kind of control over me. I don't want my employer to know that if they fire me, that means that I have to worry about about survival. You know, I don't want the, I don't I don't want my employer to have that kind of control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same here. I think if I if I wanted to quit, you know, quit my job or or get or if I got fired or whatever, I'd much rather not have to worry about my health insurance and just keep my health insurance and start a new job. If, if there's right. a way to do that. Yeah. And how many how many people in their fifties and, and early sixties stay in their job because they are are not yet eligible for Medicare, and if they actually were more able to comfortably and safely retire just for that one reason, those jobs would then be open for younger folks. Yeah. You know, it would be really good for the job market if people didn't have to you know cling on to the job in the last years when they really are ready to retire but can't because of health care. Right. Yeah. 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 It would be. Yeah. How about uh, other uh, other other things? I, I guess I guess another another thing that people say about the the COVID pandemic is that uh, is that there's a sort of a somewhat of a racial disparity all disparity also uh, is that sort of endemic to our current system or what what do you think is up with that? Well, I think it's that's a huge issue. You know, it's it re- reveals an issue that we've had going on for a long time, but just makes it it makes it worse. You know, we've known for a long time that that there's a, racial, a huge racial difference in, in, in how healthcare serves and how it performs, but we hadn't quite seen um, as acutely some of this problem here. So, so why would it, so we know that African Americans, for example, are being hit a lot harder with COVID. Yeah. You know, there's a lot more of it in the African American community, although there's a lot of it in every community. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the mortality rate there is higher. So, why is that? You know, and it, and it's. I think a, primarily a consequence of sort of the way we've been doing things for a long time. So, so it's a, it's a community that's got less access to healthcare. It's a community that's got less access to wealth. It's a community that's more, it's, that's more engaged in sort of the essential worker piece. So they're less able to stay home. They, they have to go to work. Right. And if they are able to stay home, you know, that since there's been such a historic um, inability for wealth accumulation, they tend to live in, in houses that are that are denser with you know less ability to socially isolate. Hmm. Um, so we, 
these are consequences of longstanding problems, and and as a result, we're seeing we're seeing the terrible impact of it. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully, society can move in the right direction on that one too. So hey, music's playing. Uh, that means we're going to be out for just a little bit. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk more about healthcare reform in the age of COVID with Dr. Ed Weisbart. We'll be right back. Let's not forget. You're listening to The Medical Beat. All right. Hey, we're back. Uh, this is The Medical Beat, 97.1 FM Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Harvey, and we're here with Dr. Ed Weisbart, and we're talking about uh, health care reform in the age of COVID. Uh, for those of you just joining us, uh, Dr. Ed Weisbart is an expert on health care reform. He has experiences all over the place. He had, He's a, a longtime family physician, uh, worked as a, an executive at, uh, at a large corporation, is now on faculty at Washington University, and is also the chair of the Missouri Chapter of Physicians for a National Health Program. So uh, we're, we're going to talk more about what's been going on in the age of COVID. And one, one thing about our healthcare system that I think is worth talking about now is, is the... Um, is the, how shall I put this, the lack of safety protection for our healthcare workers, for uh, doctors and nurses who were uh, basically have put their lives on the line taking care of COVID patients. Uh, hundreds have died, and uh, the country just wasn't uh, prepared, I think. So can, can you tell us more about uh, what, what happened with that and, and what's, how's that going now? Sure, um, you're right. It's a, it's a. I think that's a, a big deal. You know, we some some cities are getting up and having you know applause sessions in the middle of the in the early evening, but but we've been leaving them really unprepared. Yes. <coughs> Sorry. Yeah. You know, as as you said, I think as of um, in the middle of June, the count was 703 healthcare workers who have died as a consequence of their work on the front line. Um, but it's not just doctors and nurses. I mean, we need to realize it's yeah. it's it's everybody in the hospitals it's 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 the it's the janitors it's the it's the food service people um and then it's outside of the hospital healthcare workers you know home health workers nurses aides Mm -hmm. uh, nursing home people emts um, the entire healthcare system if you're even indirectly exposed to to patients you're you're vulnerable for this and i'd say that there's two reasons one is that we were um for whatever reason we were caught really almost almost literally with our pants down, you know, so yeah. that we didn't have anywhere near the kind of personal protective equipment that these folks clearly require having access to during this kind of a situation. We didn't have anywhere near enough of that. And I'm not a political expert to explain why that happened, but yeah. but clearly it did happen. It did, but that's yeah. not the only, and we're still struggling with that, but that's not the only issue. I don't think people realize sort of the preconditions we had, the the, the the, the situation that these healthcare workers were in, even before that, you know, something like a quarter of healthcare workers are either older or carry chronic morbidities, you know, like diabetes or or, or, or something. Something like a third um, don't even have a third of frontline um, healthcare workers don't have paid sick leave, so they have to wow. decide whether they want to do it. Something like six hundred thousand people in the kinds of jobs we just rattled off live in poverty so they they can't 
make social distancing practical. Wow. So we have people working in the hospital who are doing this work to help humanity, whom we're considering heroes, yeah. and yet we're compelling them to live um, in poverty. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of issues that are going into this, but at the end of the day, it's what you said. You know, hundreds are dying, and that's just unacceptable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I know that, uh, you know, we, we see a lot of the hospitals have the have the big signs out to say, you know, heroes work here and things like that, which, which uh, I, I'm sure is appreciated, but maybe they could trade that sign for a, for a box of masks or something like that, you know? Yeah, it's nice, but it's almost ironic, you know? I mean, I, I mean, putting up a sign like that and then not getting the personal protective equipment, putting up a sign like that, you know, or applauding and, and making somebody work at, at, at poverty level wages, um, putting up a sign like that and, and not providing paid sick leave, you know, these, these, these things are just, you know, yeah, it, it's just inappropriate. Right. And, and, and also, the real issues here. Yeah. And, and making people, you know, making them use the same, you know, the same N95 mask for an entire week, you know, which, which is, is difficult to do and, and exposing them to, to, to possibly getting the coronavirus. Yeah. Right, or making them wear literally garbage bags to use for body shields. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. And I've been, uh, I, I haven't worked in hospitals in a long time. Any any sense for whether or not that started to get better? Do they have, do you know if they have better supplies now or how's that? I think we know that it's getting better, yeah. but we also know that there's, it's nowhere near good enough just yet. Um, the supplies are getting stronger, but, but you know, it's far from everywhere and and it's you know it's a shame that we're in this situation. It's a tragedy that we're in this situation. Yeah. Particularly because we knew it was coming. Right. You know, we right. knew it was coming. Yes. And we, and th- this is a country that has a lot to be enormously proud of. When we decide we want to solve a problem, mm-hmm. we actually do have the ability to ramp up industry very quickly yeah. and solve that kind of a problem. And yet, yeah, we haven't done it. Right. You know, we yeah. Just, yeah. 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 We 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 could we could have but we didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I guess uh, kind of going back to some of our earlier discussion about the, uh, you know, the, the problems with our healthcare system that COVID has has exposed, and you know, one of them is that, you know, people are people are literally afraid to get healthcare sometimes because they they worry about bankruptcy and also the linkage between employment and healthcare insurance when you know occasionally there's going to be economic downturns with lots of layoffs and also we work much more in a gig economy now than we did decades ago uh, so so that makes it more problematic for healthcare to be healthcare coverage to be so linked to employment so what do you see as the uh, as the possible solutions if you uh, if if you became emperor of the united states what changes would you make well, to be clear, you don't want me as emperor of the United States. <laughs> but, but were that to happen, I mean, okay. the, I w- what I would do is I would look for the best healthcare system that that's in the country that already exists, so we don't have to start from scratch. And it yeah. turns out that that's Medicare. Yeah. yeah. And then I would fix the things that are wrong with it. So I'd get rid of the copays and deductibles and that. Um, and I would add in the things that are important that are missing, like pharmacy and dentistry and eyeglasses and hearing aids. Mm-hmm. So I would fix the things that are wrong with it. And then I would just make sure everybody was in that system. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, and I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I guess you want everybody in that system so that we would help make sure that it's good because everybody would want to fix it. 
Yeah. I mean, everybody, everybody needs this, right? You know, yeah. white, white, black, brown, doesn't matter. You know, everybody needs this. And if everybody is in it, then, you know, what we've seen from around the world is when they put in systems like that, it's, it, there's always a drive to improve them, but they become sustainable. They become something that the country wants to improve continually, but fights tooth and nail to keep. So a politician that runs on dismantling a system like that is, you know, in, in a bad way. So look at, look at the United Kingdom, you know, and I, I don't want the United Kingdom's health care system, yeah. but Boris Johnson was quite an opponent. You know, he wanted to almost dismantle the national health insurance there until, until he got sick and he relied on it and he realized, <laughs> oh, my gosh, <laughs> this place is great. You know, I mean, it's, it's imperfect. We can do better. But, yeah. you know, and I think Medicare is actually far superior to having a national health service like they do in the United Kingdom. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, we need to do that. Right. Yeah, yeah. So so basically, uh, and I guess, I guess, so more or less to um, get rid of private insurance and have everybody covered by Medicare and we're done would be yeah, one approach. That's exactly what I would think. But, but there are, of course, things we need to do more immediately. So, for example, yeah. on August 4th in Missouri, we can expand, we can make the decision to expand Medicaid. Uh-huh. So that's sort of a no-brainer to me that we, we have to do that in Missouri. And there's lots of other things. Probably the most important thing we have to do is fix the democracy, yeah. That's the that's the root problem. I mean, programs like we're talking about, universal health care, making sure everybody can get to see a doctor, making sure every family has a doctor, you know, and all sorts of other problems we have in the country. We actually, as a country, largely agree, not completely, but we largely agree about a lot of the policies. Yeah. And yet our elected officials on both political parties don't do what we think. And, and that's yeah. because we've gotten a pretty damaged, we've allowed our democracy to get even more damaged than it's ever been. So we need to fix that. We need to stop disenfranchising people from voting. You know, we need to we need to publicly finance campaigns. We need to, you know, do campaigns to get out the vote. There's a number of things we need to do to fix democracy, and then I think these other things will start to more fall in line. Yeah, yeah. So we can we can have a system that's more aligned with what people actually want to do. And I think, you know, I I, I do think you know people on anywhere on the political spectrum, for the most part, agree that we want. You know, we want everybody to be able to see a doctor if they need to see a doctor. Uh, I think yeah. ev- everybody agrees that we want health care to cost less instead of to cost more. Um, and that we want to get rid of waste in the health care system. So I think I think those fundamental things everybody agrees with. Right. And, and yet it comes our down to the strategy and tactics and, you know, what's the best what's the best way to, to build that? And uh, I think that's a good topic for discussion. But at the end of the day, we have to. You know, we can't we can't sustain the path that we're that we're on. Right. Yeah. 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 We can't do that. And so how about um, other other reforms that you might make? Like, let's say just just hypothetically, let's say that Medicare for all isn't going to happen. And then uh, but but you could make other changes to tinker with it. Can you think of other changes that you would suggest? And and I think you have a. Uh, I think you have about 30 seconds left, so 30 seconds. Fix the okay. world. First, I'd say we need to stop sabotaging the Affordable Care Act. Yeah. You know, that had real advances. We need to stop sabotaging it. I'd say we need to empower the government to actually negotiate the prices of drugs in a meaningful way and make those prices available to everybody. I'd say we need to expand the benefits of Medicare like we were talking about. I'd say we need to limit um, out-of-pocket costs to everybody in the country. We need to, to let employers 
switch from paying Blue Cross to paying into Medicare and having a Medicare benefit for their employees. We need to let states uh, stop having to run their own Medicaid program where it varies state to state and instead let people, let states uh, put their patients into, into Medicare. We need to lower the age of Medicare instead of this arbitrary 65, make it age 50. And then that'll be a job boon for the rest of the country, too. And we need to to start doing antitrust procedure maneuvers against hospitals that are so consolidated that they're able to overpower their 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 more appropriate market share. So yeah, there's a number of things that we could go on for an hour about other things we need to do. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff we can do to fix um, to fix our healthcare system. Yeah. And a lot of that is free market goodness, you know, because I think people uh, some people have the idea that reforming the system means taking away the free market, but it does not. It does not. It means more free market. Yeah. Hey. I hear music in the background. Chad is giving us a hint that we got to go. Uh, so we've been talking with Dr. Ed Weisbart about options for health care reform. And when we come back, we're going to talk about conspiracy theories. Be right back. And I say this is a night. You're listening to The Medical Beat. back this is the medical beat 97.1 fm talk i'm your host dr steve harvey uh we have chad on the board there say hi chad how's it going it's going good how you doing pretty good Good. i was just telling chad he's got like like the ideal radio voice we also have uh dr ed weisbart he's going to join us for this last last part here say hi ed hey steve hey hey so yeah so hey, we're we're going to talk about a timely topic. We, for those of you who missed the earlier part of the show, uh, it will be available as a podcast. We were talking about uh, the uh, uh, ideas for uh, healthcare reform in the age of COVID and uh, shortcomings in our healthcare system that have been somewhat exposed by COVID, and what some of the current thinking is for ways that we might be able to make our healthcare system better. So you can catch that on uh, themedicalbeat.com. Uh, we've got a podcast feed there, and uh, if, if you missed the first part of the show, then uh, don't despair. You can still catch the first part. Uh, so we're going to, for this last part of the show, uh, we're going to shift gears and talk about something totally different, and Ed was kind enough to stay with me for this last for this last segment to be part of the conversation. And what we're going to talk about for this last part is we're going to talk about uh, conspiracy theories about COVID-19. And as I think all of you are aware, a whole slew of conspiracy theories is being spread all over the Internet. Uh, For those of you who uh, uh, are on Facebook, you've probably seen your you've probably looked in horror as your friends and relatives and people from your high school class are spreading those very conspiracy theories. Uh, And I I think for purposes of this show, I'm going to I'm going to avoid naming and shaming the specific conspiracy theories because we don't want to we don't want to go down that rabbit hole but but uh, suffice it to say that there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there uh, Snopes actually put out uh, put out some uh, commentary you know Snopes the uh, the fact-checking website has said that basically they are overwhelmed with the number of uh, conspiracy theories popping up and uh, Snopes has been unable to keep up. Snopes has come out and said, we give up. We can't keep up 
uh, with all of these conspiracy theories. Uh, another important fact in the background is that um, is that I, I think it was Carnegie Mellon University, but research in Carnegie Mellon University that looked at um, looked at uh, Twitter accounts that were spreading consp- conspiracy theories. Uh, found out that they were doing so in a coordinated manner. Uh, that was a, a large effort that appeared most consistent with the coordinated efforts of a foreign government. They don't know which foreign government, but it was roughly 50%, a whopping 50% of the uh, Internet activity was inauthentic accounts, basically bots, uh, working, uh, working together to push various uh, conspiracy theories. That's astounding. It is. It is astounding. And I, I wonder if... Years from now, we'll probably years from now, we'll know exactly who is doing what. And uh, and I think uh, I think one thing to talk about is the the motivations of whatever foreign power is uh, pushing these conspiracy theories. I mean, off the top of my head, I would say probably by pushing conspiracy theories, it weakens our response to the pandemic or just just makes us it makes the country stupid. I think. Well, what do you think, Ed? No, I think you're. I think you're right. I think you know, as as we permit our society and civilization to crumble this way, it uh, it becomes harder to harder to really be a democracy and to really do the kinds of things that our country has been so enormously proud of over the over the years. You know, we. we so I think you're right. I think it. I think it's a direct attack on our ability to be a world leading nation. So. Yeah. Yeah, but I, it's, I think it's so. tough because some of these, you know, theories, you know, some of the things that sound completely crazy turned out turn out to be true. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. I if I had told you that the American government was going to um, inject a bunch of people or expose a bunch of people with syphilis, not tell them that they did that, and then follow them for 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 decades just to see what syphilis would do to them, yeah. you would think I was crazy. I would. Right? Yes, I, I I would have thought you got tinfoil on your head, Ed. <laughs> and yet it turns out to be completely true. We did yes. that in Tuskegee to, to the much of the airmen in Tuskegee. We did. knowingly and intentionally gave them syphilis. Did. Didn't tell them and just did. Oh, let's see what happens. And we just right. finally stopped that a few, you know, like a couple about twenty years ago or so. So. So yeah. things like that have happened in our country, you know, and That's true. And, and so when you, when we know stuff like that has actually happened, yeah, it's it's hard to know where to draw the line of well that doesn't sound that sounds crazy, right? But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. I think yeah. So I guess so, sometimes the crazy stuff turns out to be true, and also I think sometimes the crazy stuff turns out to be partly true. You know, I think I think uh, I think. It's it's easier to push those lies when you hide some of the truth inside of that lie, and it, it makes it easier to swallow. Yeah, and we've and we've corroded our ability to think critically. You know, we've we've failed in our educational system for a variety of reasons to to help people understand how to really analyze the information they're getting. So, when we st- first started hearing about hydroxychloroquine, yeah. I had several patients. I rate that I would not prescribe hydroxychloroquine for them. Right. And I said to them, you know, very simply, you know, we try to wait until there's adequate evidence. And the concept of evidence for a treatment meant nothing to them. Yes. Um, so, you know, because they've, they've, we, we don't teach people how to really think critically about what they're being told. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. I think that's true. I think another thing to think about is that, you know, during periods when we're, when we feel anxious or powerless or or confused, that's when we tend to work for an for a, for something like that. 
Um, you're going to hate me. I've got to change phones. My battery just died. Oh, your battery just died. Okay, okay. <laughs> I can still hear you, though. But, yeah, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit while okay, you're changing phones. I just changed phones. Oh, good, take... yeah. But I, I think that's true, I, and I've, I've seen that uh, sentiment in a lot of places. That I think fear and uncertainty drives conspiracy theories because people want the comfort of thinking, oh, I know the real truth. You know, I, I have this special knowledge. Well, an interesting thing about conspiracy theories is that most people don't have 25 of them. Most people have one, and then, or you know, they start with one thing that kind of seemed plausible, and it's it's reassuring when you have that one to be able to point to the people even who who, who have a different one, and who you can think, well, you know, I have this 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 insight, but I'm not crazy. Look at that guy over there who thinks this, you know. Oh, so it right. So it's sort of is a a self-perpetuating culture that develops and then combine that with sometimes it turns out to be true and it's and, and it's and it's tough yeah, yeah but this isn't new for our country you know we've we, we we've been like this for well since 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 the inception you know we yeah. we created the word truthiness you know? right yeah yeah i guess so i guess i guess i guess conspiracy theories are certainly not new maybe it's just more visible with facebook so yeah right. yeah oh Hey, the music is playing. But hey, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, and thank you, Dr. Ed Weisbart. Uh, and so just advice for everybody. Uh, be critical of, uh, of conspiracy theories. Take the tinfoil hat off your head. Wear a mask when appropriate. Wash your hands. Be good to each other. And have a good weekend. Bye. Thanks, Steve. That last song was dedicated to everyone who missed it because they were in the bathroom changing their tampon. And the next 12 hours of songs are for anyone who's trying the Diva Cup for the first time and is currently kicking back with uninterrupted period protection. Sound good to you? Check out the world's number one menstrual cup for yourself at shopdiva.com and get 10% off with code RADIO10. Conditions apply.